0: well good morning cbc Uh, please turn to colossians 2 we are going to continue our study looking at uh, our union with christ we saw last week that our union with christ brings us everything we need for salvation that we are complete in christ nothing else needs to be added to his work no one else we need for salvation we are complete in him And so this morning, I want to look back at the union with Christ, but more specifically, I want to look at our union with his death, his burial, and resurrection. And and this union is so encompassing. Uh, Without this crucial union, not only would we not be able to live out our Christian lives, but we would still be held accountable for every sin we've ever committed. So my goal this morning is to explain... From Colossians two, this fundamental union with Christ, and then see how uh, see the implications of that in our lives. So we'll look at what the Scripture says, and we'll go to the implications. Uh, quick fixes. Quick fixes are, to be honest, pretty common in my house. When a when a problem comes up with with our house, whether it be an issue with the uh, air conditioner or the dryer or whatever it is. Um, my, my first go-to is like, okay, let me go to YouTube and see if I see the same problem. So I go to YouTube, see someone with a similar model, similar problem, does, they fix it, and then, okay, I'm going to do that, that fix. Now, 9 out of 10 times, that works. 9 out of 10 times, it works. I have, I have fixed plumbing issues before. I, I, I repaired the air conditioner by the grace of God, and, and I feel good about it. Um, I remember after, there was one time I fixed a drain, and after fixing a drain, I turned on the faucet, called Danielle and said, Danielle, come over here and look at this. And I said, what do you see? She says, a sink. I said, no, 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 yes a sink. But what is the water doing? She says, it's draining. And I said, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is draining. So those are great. Uh, She quickly follows that by, but is the garage clean. And so, you know, I have to go to the garage now. Um. But, that's, but when something comes along that, uh, occasionally, something comes along that I can't fix, uh, where it, it, I need some kind of deeper knowledge, I need a, a fundamental understanding of how, let's say, how the air conditioner works or how the car works, and, and it, I'm very clearly uh, out of my depth because I just go to quick fixes. And I think as Christians, we tend to go to quick fixes somewhat routinely. We could, turn to our, uh, we could turn our time in the Word into a quick fix by reading it only because we want to make up for a sin we've done the previous day. We could turn to church or in small groups and, and go to places to, to hear the, the gospel preached, to hear the Word t- taught, and, and feel like a Christian, even though nothing in our lives has really changed. We could turn, to our, uh, uh, we could turn an accountability group into a quick fix. By simply confessing sin, but not repenting. We want to be able to, just, uh, and, and I get it, we want to be able to say we've done something. We want to be able to point to something and say, because of this, den, this sin, I've done this. But we miss out on the fundamental reality of knowing our union with Christ. And without our fundamental reality, we take these practical fixes, these quick fixes, and we make them ineffective. We could turn a a good habit of, let's say, being in the word into legalism. We could become discouraged as we fall in sin over and over and over again. And this is when we need to go back to the irreducible reality of ourselves, that we are irreducibly Christ, that we are united with Christ. So it is our union with Christ that forms the basis, not, not just for our salvation, Our union with Christ forms the basis for our sanctification. It it is the foundation for our daily pursuit of holiness. It is the anchor for our hope. And so this morning, what I want to do is look at our union with Christ. And what we're going to see in our passage are three truths that come out from this union. Three truths that come out uh, from our union with Christ. What we're going to see is that we have died with Christ. We have died with Christ. We are alive in Christ and we are forgiven in Christ. This is what we're going to see in Colossians 2: we, di- we have died with Christ, we are alive with Christ, and we are forgiven in Christ. And these truths, these truths, as broadly, they are as broadly applicable as they are deeply theological. We could talk about the, the, the theology of this, the truth of this, uh, until Christ returns. But these truths also impacts your life on an hour-by-hour basis. They will influence you on how you view sin. They'll influence you on how you view your past. Your union with Christ will pull you away from sin and lead you into a life of holiness. It will tell you where to keep your focus, where to look for hope. Our union with Christ is everything. It is a cornerstone of how we live as Christian because he himself is a cornerstone. And so, my goal this morning is, is to explain this rich theological truth that we are united with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection, and, that bring, and bring that to our daily lives. So, let's read a passage for this morning. We're, being, we're in Colossians 2, and let's read from verses 9 through 15. For in him, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him, you have been made complete. And he is the head over all rule and authority. And in him, you were also circumcised was a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your transgressions and this uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him. Having forgiven, us, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. Father, we ask that you bless our time as we stated your word Lord, I pray that as we look at Colossians two, that the reality of our union with you, the reality of our union with your Son, would impact us, as to change how we live our daily lives, even how we live our life during the sermon, immediately after the sermon. So, Father, I pray that through your Holy Spirit, you bring your Word to bear in our hearts. Praise Jesus' name, Amen. Now, last week we looked at verse, verses nine through ten. And in verses 10, we, we saw that the central theme of the passage that I just read uh, is having been made complete. That is the central verb of this passage. And so Paul builds on that. He goes back to verse 10 and he says, how are we made complete? And the rest of that passage builds on that, on, on that statement. Paul is going to say that we are uh, we are complete in christ we are complete in christ because of his death and burial and resurrection and our union with him in, in those things so verse 11 gets to our first point our first point this morning is that we have died with christ that we have died with christ now one thing we got to remember about Colossae, about the, the city that uh that paul's writing to is that in, in that city in the surrounding regions he had a, a pretty strong jewish population So Paul's audience, although there were were Gentiles, Paul's audience knew of of these Jewish customs and rituals like circumcision. So in verse 11, Paul uses circumcision as a way to convey an important truth about our union with Christ. So look at verse 11. He says, and in him, that is in Christ, you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, in the removal of the body, in the removal of the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ. So I think when you, when you read that passage, like, hey, what is Paul talking about? Are we, what is this circumcision that he keeps mentioning? Are we supposed to go back and and be like the Jews and, and get circumcised? Circumcised our, our, our sons, you know, uh, uh, when they're eight years old. Are we supposed to be? Are we supposed to be united to Christ through some kind of ritual? And the answer is no, of course not. Paul has just said in verse 10 that we are complete in Christ, in Christ alone. So Paul would not then be adding a requirement of circumcision. So that's not what he's talking about. Um, The the reason why he mentions this is that it's very possible that the false teachers in in the city in Colossae were using things like circumcision to, to teach them that this is the way you need to get to God. Paul and, and, and other apostles have dealt with this before. Uh, you can see in, in, in Galatians, Paul deals with, with this issue. Uh, but it's also important to remember that in Colossians, it's not as, as heavily dealt with. Paul doesn't really make this a central point uh, in Colossians. So I think Paul is using circumcision more as a analogy, more as a metaphor for what our union looks like. Okay, so let's look at how he describes it. Look, look at verse 11. He describes it in two ways. He says that this circumcision, that you were also circumcised, so it already has happened. Right? This is something that has happened. Um, in verse 11, in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. And then he also says that in this circumcision that happened to us, there was a removal of the body of the flesh. Okay, so these two things. The circumcision is removing something from us. And it is something done without hands. So I think we could say this is not a physical circumcision. This is not something, uh, not some outward ritual that we should be doing. Okay. So look at the next verse. Now, I think we can kind of get the idea of what he's talking about. If you look at the next verse, verse 11, Paul immediately goes into burial, right? So he's a circumcised, uh, you are circumcised with the circumcision of Christ. And in verse 12, you've been buried with him. And at the end of verse 12, you have been raised with him from the dead, so Paul has used these three things before, right? At least the burial and resurrection with Christ. Uh, go to Romans six. I think we will see a, a strong parallel. We go to Romans six. So go to Romans six, and I want you to look at Romans six verse 4 I'm going to see a strong parallel, strong connection to what Paul is saying in Colossians. Actually, let me let me start from uh, verse three. So Romans six verse three. So Paul writes. knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we might no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is freed from sin. So if you look at that passage I just read, Paul is connecting these three things that he often does. is connecting the death of Christ, the burial of Christ, and the resurrection of Christ to us, to us as believers, that we are united in those three things with christ and something i want you to before we go back to colossians something kind of want you to put in your back pocket in verse six he says that our old self was crucified with them in order that our body of sin might be done away with okay so taking that kind of pattern right what, what 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 paul is laying out here in romans six let's go back to to colossians two now trying to answer this question what is this circumcision that he's talking about here when Paul says that you are united with Christ in Romans, he said that you are joined to him in his burial, death and resurrection. So Paul right here he's saying that you are united to Christ in his death, right? It follows that same pattern. He's going to talk about the burial. he's going to talk about the resurrection, right in the verse 12. So he said united with Christ in his death. okay so I think we're we'll going to see that flesh out a little bit more as we look at the description. What's the first description that Paul gives us in Colossians 2? So Colossians 2, verse 11, says, in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. In other words, this is something God did. We're looking at circumcision made without hands. It is something God did. Now, Paul, so Paul's not speaking of some Jewish custom, right? He's not saying go to the rabbis and get circumcised because that would be with human hands. He's saying this circumcision, you can't be done with that. You can't go to a human and get it done. Only God could do it. Now it's not unlike Paul to speak about circumcision in, in such a spiritual way. Uh, He's done it a number of times. Uh, one of them that comes to mind is Romans 2. In Romans 2, at the end of Romans 2, he said that, that someone could, could not be a Jew outwardly meaning he's not physically circumcised, but is a Jew inwardly because the circumcision is in the heart by the spirit, not by man. So in Romans 2, Paul kind of says this similar thing, that there could be a a circumcision done without hands that is done by the spirit, not by man. And it's done specifically in the heart. And So what this reminds us is that God is looking at the heart. You know, you can look at verse after verse, um, Deuteronomy 10, 16, and you go to Jeremiah 4, 4, verse after verse in the Old Testament where there's a circumcision of the heart that is apart from the physical circumcision of, 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 that the ritual does. So God cares about the heart. He, God wants obedience, but not just outward obedience. He wants an, a, a heart commitment to follow the law, to obey his word. And so God wants us to remove that inward rebellion that we have in our hearts so we could follow him. There's one problem with that, that we can't do that by ourselves. You can't wake up one day and decide on your own initiative, in your own power, to say, I'm going to follow God. Paul says later, and we'll get to that, but in, in later on in verse 13 in Colossians 2, he said that we are dead to sin. We are dead in sin, not actually dead in sin. So God needs to do the work. God needs to join us to Christ. God needs to do this amazing work of uniting us with his son so that we could die to sin and live in the resurrection of his son. So Paul is speaking about here a spiritual circumcision. I think it's also important that we're not... um, uh, well, we get to that. if we look at the next part. Uh, circumcision here is also uh, Paul describes it as a removal of the body of the flesh. So it's something that God has done, right? It's circumcision without hands, but it is a removal of the body of the flesh. The word for removal literally means to strip something off or to put off. So something is being removed from us. You know, we want to answer what that is. We'll go back to Romans 6.6. 6. You don't have to turn there, but this is what, this is what I emphasized before we, 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 tr- we turn back to Colossians. In Romans 6.6, 6, it says our old self was crucified with him in order that, now listen to this, that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin so what is it that's being stripped off here what's being removed and what's being removed is that part of us that is a uh, that is constantly rebelling against god that needs to go it is that the the flesh is how the, the bible describes it that needs to go it needs to be stripped away and it can only be done by our union with christ you can't decide again on your own power to get rid of that sinful nature to get rid of that sinful bent, that, that outright, uncontrolled rebellion against God. Ha- we have to be joined to Christ to do that. Our old self must die with him. Uh, C.S. Lewis has this beautiful illustration of this. I know, uh, I know Narnia gets used a bit here, <laughs> um, but it's so good, so I-, I had to use it. So in Narnia, there's this boy named Eustace. And those of you who know Narnia already know where I'm going with this. Eustace was a boy that, was very, that, that saw a golden uh, arm band, a golden bracelet. And so he, reached, he gets that golden bracelet, and in the, in the book, he, be, he, be, he turns into a dragon because of his greed, because he saw this gold and he wanted it for himself. So this, this boy named Eustace turns into a dragon. The, that bracelet that he pulls on his skin, or that he put on his, uh, onto his arm, as he turns into his dragon, pierces him the skin as the dragon. And so Eustace now is in a lot of pain. He wants to take the bracelet off, but he can't. He wants to be healed, but he can't. He wants to be turned into a boy. So he's stuck as a dragon. One night, the great lion Aslan approaches him and offers relief. He leads Eustace, who is... Now a dragon up into the mountains, to a pool. And in this pool, he says, you could have relief from your pain in this pool. But Aslan says, I must undress you. Your dragon scales, everything like that has to come off. Now Eustace saw the lion. He's like, I don't want that lion touching me. So Eustace tries in desperation to tear off the dragon scales. He manages to peel off one layer, but to his dismay, he finds another layer under it. So he peels off that layer and finds another layer and he keeps going again and again and again only to find that the dragon scales remain on his body. He can't do it. So Aslan speaks to him. Aslan says again, I must undress you. Now Eustace was fearful of the lion. His large sharp claws made him fearful but pretty desperate he lies down on the ground and allows Aslan to heal him. Aslan with his sharp claws digs in and Eustace says that that first tear was so deep that he thought it had gone right to his heart. And Aslan, the the lion, peels the dragon's scales away and, and Eustace could see the scales pile up next to him. Those scales were deeper and darker and more knobby looking than the others had been. And Aslan was able to remove the scales Aslan takes him, throws him into the pool, and Eustace was healed. Eustace becomes a boy again. We need God to tear off our scales, just like Eustace needed Aslan. We cannot tear off the old self. Our old self and our own power remains in there. It is darker than we think. It is deeper than we think. But only by being united with Christ and his death can that old nature be removed? Can the old self be killed? Only by death with Christ can God take that heart of stone and remove it and give us a heart of flesh. So praise the Lord that God has joined us with his son and that we have, that we have life in Christ. And that's exactly where Paul goes next. So Paul says, okay, we have, we have died with Christ through, uh, through an, uh, a metaphor of the of circumcision. We have died with Christ. And Paul says, now we have life in Christ. We are alive in Christ. So this is our next point. So we saw that we, are, we have died with Christ and now we are alive in Christ. Now this being alive in Christ is inseparably linked to dying in Christ. You can't die in Christ and not have life. Now look at verse 12. I love how he he goes about doing this. He says, verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism, in which also you were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Paul goes right to baptism. He goes to this symbol, this beautiful symbol of our union with Christ. We just did a baptism a few weeks back. Precious sister and brother got baptized at the beach and when they went down into the water, it was symbolizing that they have died in Christ. But they didn't stay underwater. They came back up. And when they come up, it's a picture of being raised with Christ. They're raised with Christ to newness of life. Baptism tells us what God has already done. Baptism itself doesn't do that. It is a symbol of what God has already done. We have died with Christ and been raised with him. So when we get baptized, we do it out of obedience, but it is also a public statement of what God has done in uniting us with his son. Now, I think it's really important when we look at this verse that we see that Paul is not saying baptism replaces circumcision. That baptism becomes this, this new ritual that you have to do to come into a Christian community. I think this goes against what he stated, that, that this circumcision is done without hands. Why would he replace it then with another ritual that's done with hands? Um, It is a spiritual work that God has done alone. It is is not a physical work. And I think he's using baptism the way he used it in, in Romans. When we looked at Romans, he said that we are baptized into Christ, that we are buried with Christ through baptism into his death. When does that happen? When are we baptized with Christ and baptized into his death? That happens the moment you become a believer. The moment you place your trust in Jesus Christ, you are baptized into his death and you're given newness of life. And Paul makes that clear in verse 12. He says that it is through faith. Look at in verse 12. He says that in which you were also raised up with him through faith, through faith in the working of God. Now this is is how he says in Ephesians. In Ephesians he says, for by grace we have been saved through faith, Not of ourselves, it is a gift of God. And I just want to meditate here a little bit on the simplicity of the gospel here. If you have faith in Jesus, Jesus has died for your sins and God raised him in the newness of life. So now you are raised in the newness of life. You are saved apart from any of your own works. You are saved only by Christ's work. Getting baptized doesn't save you. Coming to church doesn't save you. Trying to live holier lives doesn't save you. It is only by faith alone in Christ alone that you are saved by grace alone. And if you ever doubt that, look at the power that raised Christ. That power that raised Christ is the same power that raised you to newness of life. And this is exactly where Paul goes. Verse 12, he reminds us, he says, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. The God that we talk about, the God that, that raised us from the dead is the God who raised Jesus from the dead. And just think about our Resurrection Sundays, right? Our Resurrection Sundays, we spend the day staring at an empty tomb and praising the Lord that it is empty, that God, uh, that, that Jesus is alive today. That he died on the cross on Good Friday and God raised him from the dead, and we look at him, oh, what an amazing miracle. What power displayed. And I say amen to that. But this is what Paul, Paul connects it to us. That same power is the same power that gave you life. The same God who raised Jesus from the dead is the same God who raises you from the dead in his son. We are no longer dead in sin, we are not unresponsive to the Holy Spirit anymore. What being raised with Christ means, it means, that, it, it means that you get to do what you want to do as a believer. It means that you're no longer bound to the sinful nature. You're free from that. You're free from that so that you could go live in Christ. And that's what it means to walk in newness of life, that you want to live a life that is honoring to God. Only because we've been freed from sin, only because of what God has done in joining us to his son in his death And joining us to his son in his resurrection. We could walk righteous before God because our life is in Christ, and Christ is alive. So this is a new life we have in Christ. So we have we have died with Christ, we are alive in Christ. Now let's look at the, the remaining verses 13 and 14. We are forgiven in Christ. Now, I'm going through these a little fast because this paints a holistic picture, right? Paul goes through this one by one, rapid fire. And so I want you guys to see the big picture here and then we're going to bring it to bear in our lives. So we are forgiven in Christ. Paul begins in verse 13 with an emphasis on his readers. And it's kind of interesting here. If if I was to put this in Greek um, or translate directly from the Greek, the you, that pronoun is emphatic. Uh, I'll try to read it in, 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 in that way. Uh, Paul says, and you being dead in trespasses and uncircumcised in your flesh, God made you alive together with Christ. God made you. So we saw last week that our union with Christ is with a person. But our union with Christ is also personal. It also confronts our own personal sin. It also deals with the sin that we have on ourselves. Paul's emphasizing that this union has happened to you. It's not this broad theological concept. It is, and again, look look at the pronouns here. He said, when you were dead in, in, in transgression, right? in verse 13 there, does Paul say, when you were dead in sin, just a general statement of sin. Whose sin were you dead in? When you were dead in your transgressions it was our sins that we were dead in and we were uncircumcised in in our flesh meaning that you were sinfully outright rebelling against god this is who we were before christ that we were spiritually dead that we could not respond to any spiritual stimulus that god would send because we were still in our sins we were we were blind to god's working so that corrupted layer of our person had to be removed. I don't know if you ever tried to, uh, to revive a dead houseplant. Uh, we have a dead houseplant currently in our garage. Um, that houseplant, I tried to give it life. I uh, said, okay, I'm gonna try, I don't think it's dead. Let me, let me try to fix it, <laughs> fix it, it'll go fixing again. So I'm gonna try to fix it. So I pour some water in it, you know, be, okay, not too much water, I don't want it to to rot inside, give it the sunlight, and say, okay, let's see it. And it just got browner and deader. It, it didn't respond to anything I was trying to do. And that's what we're like before Christ. There could be the, the light of the word shining upon you, but you are blind to it. You're in darkness. And you are, unres- you are unresponsive to the gospel. So not only were we dead in our sins, but, but Paul also says we were uncircumcised in the flesh. That's going back to those dry, that idea of dragon scales. Those dragon scales had not come off. Our sinful flesh, our uncontrolled propensity to rebel against God uh, was there. I like the way Paul says in Ephesians 2. And Ephesians 2 says that we were outside the promises of God, that we were without hope and without God in the world. And just think about the reality of that, that you're without hope, without God in the world. That's where everyone is if they don't have Christ. That's where we were without Christ. Now, why is Paul telling us this? Why is Paul telling us this? If we're we're talking about union with Christ, why is Paul telling us this? He's telling us this because our union with Christ provides the way out here. He's telling us, us this because he wants to remind us what, how powerful the union, our union with Christ is. That union with Christ has transformed us from being dead in our sins, from being unresponsive to God, to being alive in Christ. And because we are alive in Christ, that means God has taken care of our sins. The sins that weighed us down are, is gone. How did God take care of that? Look at 13 the, the end of verse 13, Paul explains how God has done that. So he says, in he, verse 13, he made you alive together with, with him. How? Having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt, uh, consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to, to us, and he, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it, nailed it to the cross. We can only be alive in Christ because of what God did with our sins. God has the word therefore canceled is wiped. He has wiped away our sins. He forgave all our transgressions. As guilty as we were, as dead as we were in, in, from all our sins, we in Christ, through the grace of God, has been forgiven of every single sin that has been committed. No one sin is left out. The sin in your whole life has been wiped clean. The forgiveness that God offers is thorough, is all-encompassing, going back to what Paul was saying in verse 10, is complete. Now, Paul doesn't just stop with forgiveness. He says, okay, you're forgiven, but get this. There was a certificate of debt that has been canceled. What is this certificate? Have you ever, okay, the certificate of debt. Have you guys ever, I don't think anyone has, written out an IOU? I don't think so. I think, you know, I think what happens is we go, we go to a, a coffee shop and we don't have our, our wallets or something and then we say to our buddy, hey, uh, I owe you, right? And that's our I owe you, right? We won't get into whether you actually pay that back or not. Okay, that's what an I U. but so we, there's something similar. It's not quite the same as an I U. but something similar that, that is being, that Paul is talking about here. By being made by God, by being his creatures, we have an obligation to follow his loss. But we have failed that obligation. We have failed that, you could say, agreement. And God is keeping an account. God is keeping an account of how we have failed that. Uh, Revelation 20, it says that there are these books, these books that God will have and that he's going to have them open. and He's going to judge the dead according to their deeds. And so God is going to have the certificate of debt the certificate of debt that you are required to obey, that you needed to produce a perfect life, but instead you have sinned. Uh, look how Paul describes it in verse 14. He says, this certificate of debt consists of decrees against us. Each commandment that God has, has said and we have broken is going to be on that paper. It's going to say, commandment one, broken. Commandment two, broken commandment three broken the decrees which God has said has been ignored and disobeyed and that that certificate of debt is going to show that but this is why our union with Christ is so necessary our union with Christ eliminates that that certificate of debt is done he has canceled it out he has taken it away by having nailed it on the cross uh, this is the, the verb right here. Uh, the, cancel, the verb for, for canceled it means to be to wipe away. That God wipes away our sins and is gone for good. I like seeing this connection. It is that verb for canceled is the same verb that we see in Revelation, uh, where where Jesus wipes away every tear from our eyes. He wipes away every tear from our eyes when we, when there's no, no no more death, no more crying, no more pain. He wipes away the tear. Well, it is that same loving Savior who wipes away our sins, never to remember the sins again. They're gone. Now, I want to be theologically correct here. It isn't that they're just forgotten. It's not that God takes the paper and tears it apart and said, I'm just going to forget that happened. There's still debt to be paid. Now, Christ had to pay that debt when he died on the cross. Our sins were placed on him. That certificate of debt was placed on Jesus and he paid it. The judgment reserved from, from us, all the, the books that were filled with our failures, with our sin, was placed on Jesus and Jesus nailed it to the cross and it is done away with. Every single sin. One of my favorite verses from, uh, uh, from the hymn, um, It Is Well With My Soul. You guys know this verse. It's My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought my sin not in part but what the whole right is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more praise the Lord praise the Lord oh my soul every sin is nailed to the cross it is done let me ask you something is this hymn true of you Can you say that your sins are wiped clean, that your account is wiped away, that the sins are as far as the east is from the west? Or are you fearful of coming before God because of that impending judgment, because you know your books are filled up? My friend, if the answer is the latter, if you fear God's judgments, then you need to turn to Jesus. The Bible says that if you repent from your sins, you turn to Jesus, that your sins will be blotted out. Your sins will be removed. So if you have that fear, turn to Jesus. Place your trust in him. And if you have placed that trust in him, you get to experience this amazing grace. At one point, we were helpless sinners, right? We were helpless sinners, enemies of God, and we were reconciled to him. All our offenses that we have personally done against God, all our transgressions against him were paid for on the cross and were done away with. We're moved out of the way and we're given new life in Christ. This is what Colossians is telling us, that we have in Christ, that we we have died in Christ, that we are alive in Christ and that we are forgiven in Christ. And like I said earlier, this is a foundation of Christian living. This is so broad and encompassing. It's really hard to now take this and make it practical because I can look, at, and the Bible shows us, that at any moment of our lives, this is going to apply. So I just want to look at a couple of situations, a couple of what I call implications to our daily lives. The everyday practical level. So here's implication number one. Implication number one, you are now living a transformed life. Now, I didn't talk about this, but the tenses in those verbs were all as if it already it was as, as if it already happened. It has happened. All that union that we saw, union with his death, with his burial, with his resurrection, all that is already done. You're already united. The old self who indulge in sin and run away from God, they're dead. They have died on the cross, and instead we have a new life, a new self that was raised with life with Christ. So what does that mean for us? Let me say what it doesn't mean first. It doesn't mean that you have to earn this new self. That's not what Paul is saying here. You don't have to earn this new self. You don't have to prove to God or prove to yourself that you have been given a new life. Romans 8.1 says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. The true nature of this is that this has already been done. If you are in Christ, if you place your trust in Jesus, you have that new life. The old life is dead. And the simple truth is that if you are in Christ, you have now the ability to fight off sin. That's what the new self allows us to do, that we can fight off sin. Let's go to Romans 8, uh, 6. Let's go back to Romans 6. Romans 6, I want to look at verse 8. So we read 3 through 7. I want to read through verse 8. I'm going to read a little, a little bit of the passage here, so just follow along. We're, we're going to stop at verse 14. This is what Paul writes. So Romans 6, verse 8. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. So there's that connection with died and, and, and living. Knowing that Christ, having been, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again, Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its lust. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not master over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. What Paul's saying here is that your union with Christ's death, with your, your union with, re, with, with his resurrection, has changed your relationship with sin forever. You are freed from its power. Its rule over you is done just like how death did not master Christ, sin will not master you. Any struggle with sin? You know, we could be talking about anger, we could talk about lust. we could be talking about greed, anxiety, distrust with the Lord. Whatever sin has, has stubbornly, stubbornly rooted itself in you, that sin does not have more power than God who has already worked in you. Remember, we talked about last week, Christ is victorious. When God rose Jesus from the grave, he defeated Satan, he defeated sin, and he defeated death. And remember, God also raised you with Christ. No sin can beat that. No sin, no matter how long it's been in your life, no matter how pervasive it is, no sin can beat the power that we have in Christ. We can walk in newness of life. Let me just say it outright. It is a lie to believe that a particular sin will always be there in in your life. That is an outright lie. There may be struggles in your life, but that doesn't mean you always have to fall into it. That's why Paul says in verse 12, Do not let sin reign. And he wouldn't give that commandment. The, the, the the, The Holy Spirit wouldn't give us that commandment if it was something that we can't do in Christ. He said, Do not let sin reign. We see that in in other places of the Bible. How many times do you read, lay aside the old self, put off the old self. It's directly connected with your union with Christ. I love how Galatians 5.24 puts it. Galatians 5.24 says, now those who belong to Christ, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh and its passions and desires. Has crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. I'm not saying that you'll never sin again. This is not what Paul's teaching here. Our union with Christ does not mean that we get to live a perfected life now. But it does mean that we could fight. It does mean that we have assured victory in Christ. And sometimes that means that victory will will, will be little by little. But it's a victory nonetheless. With, With the ultimate victory of being made like Christ. So fight this sin, put off your old self and put on the new self that we have in Christ. Make those changes to your life. Uh, It it could be very practical, like that means being in the word. Being in the word, it could be bringing sin to light by confessing it to others, and especially confessing it to the Lord. You know, we know that 1 John 1, 9 says that if you confess your sins to the Lord, that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But we do those things, you know, confessing, reading, we do those things while we cling to who we are in Christ. We do that because we we know we are a new creation in Christ. It is already done. The old, the old has gone and the new has come, all because we are in Christ. So what's the, the truth here? The truth is that You already have that transformed life. You are a transformed person in Christ. You are a new person in Christ. We have died, and he now lives in us. Which brings me to the second implication I want to look at. He lives in us, which means, it's going to sound a little harsh, but it's true. You are not the center of your life. He lives in us. You are not the center of your life. He is. I think we all know Galatians 2.20. You know, let's just turn there. It's, it's good to see it. Galatians 2.20. Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Now, we already saw that we, being united with Christ, we, are, we have died to our sin that our old, rebellious, unbelieving self, that that's dead. So then what's left? If that has died, what's left? Well, Paul says, it's not Paul, it's not me. Paul says, Paul saying that it's no longer I who live, but the person who lives in me is the person who gave me this life. Paul tried to get his own life, right? Paul tried to, to merit his life by the law by being a good Jew and he said that failed and what Paul had to do Paul had to die to the law so that he might live in Christ and we could say the same thing about ourselves that without Christ we we are dead in our sins that anything we attempt only makes that certificate of debt longer but it is only in Christ that we have life That life is ours forever. That life cannot be lost, but that life is not apart from Christ. So it is no longer us who live, but it is Christ who lives in us. Now look at the second part of Colossians two twenty. I think, uh, sorry, Galatians Galatians two twenty. We think of that first part. Look at the second part. Paul says in in the second part there. And the life which I now live in the flesh, that means the very life I'm living right now, the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I think there it is. Paul's talking about that life that he's living now, right? The life that he's living in the flesh. We are alive in Christ, right? We are free from sin. we, We are free from the world, free from the old self. But whose life is it? It's not ours, we failed, remember? Our life is His. Our life is in the Son of God who loved us and died for us, so that He might live in us. I like how First Corinthians 6,19 and 20 puts it. I'm just going to summarize here, but First Corinthians 6:19 and 20 says that the temple of the Holy Spirit, He's in us. The Holy Spirit is in us because we are not our own. The Holy Spirit dwells in us because we are not our own. We have been bought with a price. So, what do we do with this? Well, Paul says, with, with this idea, you go glorify God in your bodies. Go honor Him with your bodies, with every decisions, decision you make, with every attitude you have in your life. Honor and glorify God with it. I'd like to put this this way. We, we are not to have Our best life now kind of attitude instead we are to say let me live his life the best i can now let me live his life life of christ the best and i think that keeps us from getting caught up with all these things that goes on in life with with the treasures that we want with the with the experiences that we can get here in in this world getting making relationships an idol i mean relationships and and experiences they, they have their place but but they fall incredibly short of being christ right? of living christ if you have died to christ you have forfeited your rule over your life you have died with christ you have forfeited your will to your life and you have surrendered the throne to the risen savior but this savior is the savior who died for you who loved you who gave himself up for you so this savior is a good king I think you, we get reminded of this not so much when things are going well. I think you, when things are going good, walking outside, the sun shining through the trees, areas in that peace, and you're like, yes, I am the Lord. Praise the Lord. Well, it's good. You should praise the Lord in those days. Uh, but it's, it's when, when everything goes not the way we want it, right? When we start to run into trials, when a, when a sudden trial bursts that little bubble of peace, and then we, we start to be tempted, saying, well, this is not why I want it for my life. I want something else. I want to take the steering wheel back. I want to be sitting on the throne of my life. Just speaking from personal experience, you won't go along in your life before you are challenged with that. So what do you do? You remember your union with Christ, that God has placed you in him. It was his doing, and because he, he did it because he wanted to have He wanted you to have life. So God is not going to save you. He's not going to give you life and then not care for you. It is in those trials that when you trust everything you have to Christ, that you will see his care, his love. You'll see his glory. And the world and the suffering of this current life will not compare to the glory that will be revealed to us in Christ. Which brings me to my last implication here. My last implication of our union with Christ this morning is that we should stay focused on Christ. Stay focused on Christ. So let's go back to Colossians. Colossians, Paul makes a direct connection here. Colossians 3. I love how direct this is. Colossians 3. I'm going to read verse 1 and we'll go through verse 4. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, going back to what we talked about, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be re- revealed with him in glory. I think a good question to ask ourselves is, what is most distracting us from Christ right now? We could get caught up in a lot of things in our lives, a lot of cares of the world. An example, ask yourself this, how am I doing with my meditation on money? It's good to be responsible with money, but do you meditate on money rather than God's word? Does that take more mental real state in your mind than his word does? We could talk about TV shows and things that we watch, things that we listen to, books, political commentary from either side of the aisle, right? All these things could change out the lens that we have to look at this world and give us a worldly lens. But what Paul says in Colossians 3 is that you have been raised with Christ. And if you have been raised with Christ, you ought to, be, seek, you ought to seek the things that are above where Christ is. A new life in Christ gives you a heavenly Christ-centered perspective. And if you have been raised up with Christ, then you know nothing in this world is more satisfying, more glorious, more lovely than the risen Savior. Nothing on earth compares. Nothing in the world can get even close to the joy that we have in Him. And if you have died in Christ, get this your life is hidden with Christ. Your life should look different from the world. Your life you're not going to look at the world and and believe all its empty promises and distractions. You're not going to be focused on the world. You're going to be focused on where your life is. Your life is in Christ. So instead, we set our minds on things above because we are united with him who is above. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this amazing reality that we have, that we are united with your son with how, what it means about our daily lives. And I pray, Lord, that we would not so quickly forget that we have died to our sin and that we are alive in Christ. Father, thank you for the forgiveness that we have, that the burden of sin is no longer on us, that we could live our lives free from the, from the slave, slavery to sin and, and, and be slaves to God, that we could live in, righteous, in righteousness before you. Father, I pray that these truths will will penetrate deep within our hearts and that we will live day by day to honor you and glorify you. Praise Jesus' name. Amen.